Welcome to Season 4 of the Raise Your Game Show, a podcast that unpacks and dissects the strategies and principles of high performance in sports and business. I'm your host, Alan Stein Jr. Let's do it. In this season, I unpack the key stories and lessons from my book, Raise Your Game, high-performance secrets from the best of the best. If you've already read or listened to my book, please enjoy the reinforcement and reminders. Remember, repetition is not punishment. If this is all new to you, I hope you find this content helpful. You can order the full audiobook at audible.com or wherever audiobooks are sold. You can also order the paperback or hard copy version for you or your entire team or organization at raiseyourgamebook.com. Before I dive in, I wanted to announce that Your Game Plan, Student-Athlete Edition, is coming soon. This online course was strategically designed by me to help middle school, high school, and college athletes improve their leadership, communication, and habits, as well as become the best version of themselves on and off the court or field. Here are a few samples of the lessons taught. I've got dozens and dozens of favorite quotes, but if I had to pick one, it would be, are the habits you have today on par for the dreams you have for tomorrow? And I, I actually said that in kind of an impromptu talk one time at a basketball camp, uh, and it's now hanging in the, the training facility uh, of Penn State's football team, uh, which is really a, a cool and neat honor. So the, the quote's gotten a little bit of recognition. But the most important part of that quote is you have to have alignment between what you do every single day and what your goals and dreams are. The first thing you need to do is take a deep breath and realize that no matter what this adversity is, at some point it will pass. And I know that's easy to say and not very easy to do, but I'm hoping what it does is reframe your perspective and give you a little bit of optimism. Now, clearly, there's a wide range of adversities for student athletes. Uh, this could be something on the smaller acute level. You know, you, you get a D on a history test that you really studied hard for. Uh, it could be something, you know, a little bit higher stakes. You know, you, you sprained your ankle in practice and you may have to miss Friday's game. Uh, and it could be anything in between. But whatever the adversity is, first and foremost, you have to realize that you do have the strength to get past it that it will eventually pass and hopefully that optimism and a sense of poise can lead to some of the other steps and make sure you follow me on instagram and twitter at alan stein jr or keep listening to the rest of this season for more info in today's episode we explore chapter five from the players section which focuses on confidence you can't possibly become better than me because you're not spending the time on it that i do so i already won Kobe Bryant. Confidence is the last chapter of part one because it's the sum total of all the previous qualities. Do you have self-awareness? Are you passionate? Are you willing to do disciplined work? Will you remain coachable? The natural result of all of this is confidence, earned confidence, grounded confidence, authentic confidence. When you go into a situation prepared, confidence can't help but arise. It's no different than Steph Curry confidently swishing his free throws when the game is on the line and millions are watching. He knows they're going in because he's made thousands of them when no one was there. The smartest guy in the room. 
There are some people you meet who are at the top of their game, and after five minutes of talking to them, you understand how they got where they are. They just exude a kind of earned confidence in what they do and what they know that comes from years, decades, of investing in themselves. Self-awareness plus passion plus discipline plus coachability equals confidence. If you'd like to see the infographic, go to raiseyourgamebook.com. A few years ago, my Hardwood Hustle podcast team and I booked flights down to Dallas to meet with one of the most confident people in the world of sports and business, Dallas Mavericks owner, Shark Tank star, and renegade billionaire, Mark Cuban. Our flights were delayed, so we showed up in Dallas on no sleep, but that didn't matter. I was psyched. Being in Cuban's presence was like having an IV drip of caffeine. He's just an inspiring and magnetic kind of guy. Mark was at the top of my must-meet bucket list, so sitting across from him and getting to talk shop was a phenomenal experience. He was a total gentleman, easy and hospitable as he granted us full access to his private suite at the American Airlines Center. His office is in the bunker underneath the stadium, decked out with several big-screen TVs, leather couches, Mavericks memorabilia, and a full bar. It was the ultimate man cave. Cuban's an extremely busy guy, but he ended up giving us a couple of hours, and we had a blast. He was on a schedule and he had somewhere to be, but he never made us feel like it. What I like and respect most about Mark is his confidence. We doubt ourselves at one point or another, Cuban told me. Confidence gives me the ability to push through that doubt. Confidence has helped me in every presentation I have ever made in my life. Cuban is a living example of the power of confidence. He's a self-made man who has, through force of will, become a powerhouse. He is brilliant, innovative, and fearless, and the very definition of a maverick. And his confidence is earned. Talking to Cuban, who was lounging casually in a t-shirt and track pants, his knees up and feet on the table, I was struck by his authenticity. As he pounded Red Bull, he spoke as casually as if we were buddies drinking beers and watching a game. He didn't seem like a billionaire or an icon or any of it. There was no calculation about how he wanted to sound. He offered no talking points or branded sayings that he'd said a billion other times. Mark Cuban was real. I've met enough big-time sports, media, and business people to know that is rare. Cuban is a guy who knows who he is and what he wants, and he's not too concerned about how he comes off. He has strong opinions, and he's not afraid to share them. It's just who he is. Cuban knows self-confidence is not just a result. It's also a cause. It's a self-regenerating process. Mark's first company, Microsolutions, began humbly with a $500 job from his first customer. In 1990, he sold that company to CompuServe. Today, he's worth over $3 billion, and his businesses are still growing. When he took over the Mavericks, they were the worst team in the NBA. In fact, they were voted worst professional sports franchise of the 1990s. The very first thing Cuba did as their owner was upgrade the players' locker room and travel accommodations. Why? Most executives might think that's the last thing you should do for a losing team. That'll just make them more comfortable and encourage their complacency. But Cuban isn't most executives. He knew that once the players felt valued, they would value each other and their game more. On the other side of the locker room door, he got his hands dirty. He put his desk on the ticket sales floor and set up shop there, making sales calls alongside the agents. 
Cuban worked to directly convince the people of Dallas to come out and support a team that was playing to an empty stadium and losing all of the time. And it worked. Cuban doesn't get hampered by obstacles. In fact, they get him going. He told me that he was motivated by taking over the worst team in the NBA. You can use fear as a roadblock or as motivation, he wrote in his book, and his life and career are a testament to which choice he makes over and over again. When I asked him his definition of success, he answered immediately, waking up every morning with a smile on my face, knowing I'm going to make this a great day. It was only when I was re-listening to our interview that I realized how profound this was. Not that it was going to be a great day, but that he was going to make it one. That's the key. It's in his hands. That's the power and reach of confidence. I love to compete. When I was younger, I liked to prove to everybody that it didn't matter how old I was, he told me. I was 22, 23, starting a business. I'd kick your ass no matter what. Now that I'm older, I don't care if you're 18, 12, or 50. I'm going to kick your ass. You can work hard, and I'm just going to outwork you and outgrind you and do whatever it takes. Cuban often talks about his goal is to always be the most prepared and most knowledgeable person when he sits down in a room. He preaches the gospel of knowing your stuff. I get my confidence from knowing I outwork everyone and read more than anyone, he told me. Knowing I put in the time to give myself a competitive advantage is where I get my confidence from. If he loses out on something, it will never be due to lack of knowledge or lack of preparation. He's a master of the unseen hours, and that's why he's successful. Cuban believes confidence is misunderstood. It's not just empty self-esteem, or as he put it, giving yourself a participation medal. It comes from experience and knowledge, he said. Confidence also doesn't mean invincibility. It doesn't mean he's never afraid. In fact, he told me that when he walks in to convince someone to buy one of his companies, it's always terrifying and I'm always wary of what will happen, but my preparation and confidence get me through. I was reassured knowing that Mark Cuban still gets terrified in high-stakes situations. It reminded me that confidence doesn't mean never being afraid. It just means being prepared and driven enough to get yourself past that fear. What losing gives us. Contrary to the old Vince Lombardi maxim, which has been quoted far too many times, winning is not the only thing. Not even close. Of course, it feels great, and it's what we're all trying to work toward. But success is built on the backs of failures. That's just a fact. It's not just about overcoming fear. It's about using that feeling to drive you. The energy, even the anxiety that comes from being afraid is something to utilize. It can be channeled into something. It can be the engine that fires you forward, even into things you're afraid of. Of course, confidence comes from being successful. Mark Cuban is the way he is because of what he has accomplished. But we can't forget that confidence comes from going through adversity, coming out the other end and continuing to go forward. Confidence is also about conviction muscling through obstacles and withstanding heartbreak. It's holding fast to your vision even when the world isn't buying. It took Perry Chen eight years to launch Kickstarter from the original idea. Every single investor passed on Airbnb until Silicon Valley's biggest Sequoia Capital didn't. Think about how many great ideas and smart entrepreneurs didn't end up breaking through. It takes people who resiliently believe in themselves, almost to an irrational point, to come out the other side. 
Confidence comes from both winning and losing, which takes years of passion and discipline to build. A lot of it has to do with getting rid of the negative self-talk and replacing it with words and beliefs that keep you striving for what you want. You can change what you do by changing the way you think. It's that simple. Comparison is the thief of joy. Teddy Roosevelt A game you can't win. My friend Paul Biancardi of ESPN loves to say, you will always lose the comparison game. Why is that? Because it's rigged. It has no function besides enlarging self-doubt. I'm typing this chapter on board a flight to South Dakota. Among the 250 passengers on this plane, I can quickly find someone better looking, funnier, more successful, taller, more muscular, smarter. It won't take long to find someone who scores higher than me on almost any metric. If I use these people as my measuring stick to determine my self-worth and value, I will always lose. I will never measure up. I will always fall short. I will never have or be enough. But this is an easy trap to fall into. I still occasionally catch myself doing it. Conventional advertising's number one goal is to get us to play the comparison game, to make us feel like we aren't enough, to brainwash us into believing we always need more and to magnify our insecurities. In many ways, social media has expanded this issue. We get so hyper-focused on what everyone else has and what everyone else is doing that we lose sight of ourselves. Comparison never serves us or adds value to our lives. In fact, it robs us of happiness and fulfillment. The only thing we should compare ourselves to is our previous selves or to what we're capable of. That is the only way you can win. Game Face Successful people often have routines to help access or build their self-confidence. If you don't, consider developing one. Even look to the world of sports for ideas. In Psyched Up, How the Science of Mental Preparation Can Help You Succeed, Dan McGinn shadowed a doctor who has a specific routine he goes through before going into surgery to get him mentally ready. The surgeon happens to be a former wrestler, and he uses similar preparation techniques to the ones he used before a match. McGinn also wrote about witnessing West Point athletes preparing for a game by listening to an actor reading their greatest hits, highlights of successes they've had on the field. He interviewed masters of performance like Jerry Seinfeld about their pre-show routines and sat in on a Juilliard class that is exclusively about mental preparation. Juilliard students, the best young musicians in the world, have a full semester class that doesn't teach music at all. The class's sole purpose is to get the students psychologically ready for the stage and the pressures of performing in front of an audience. Professors in this class even make students do calisthenics and ask them to perform pieces immediately afterward so that they can get used to that adrenaline flowing through their bodies as they play. Confidence is the face we put out to the world. We're living in a shark tank economy where we're judged by important singular moments, the big interview, presentation, or evaluation, and we need to perform at our best. Without confidence, it's unlikely anyone is going to give us that account, client, job, or promotion. Even if we have the skills, if no one knows or trusts that we do, we will not be able to make the big leap. Next play. Confidence comes from not getting bogged down in the past. We extract what we need to improve, and then we move on. At a DeMatha game, Coach Jones will say next play at least a hundred times. Ref missed a call, 
Next play. You turn the ball over. Next play. You missed a wide open shot. Next play. It goes back to what you can control. Focus on the next play. The most important question you can ask yourself after success or failure is, what now? The only way you can be at your best is to be fully present. It doesn't mean ignoring what happened. You need to pull lessons from that experience. It's about not sulking or getting down. It's about taking what you can from the experience and applying it to the next play, whatever that next play is. No serious physical event is a physical event. They're all mental events. The selection. The guy in the blue tuxedo. Okay, I've been putting it off, but it's time. Let's go back to 2002, mile 17 of my first marathon. My legs were on fire and my body had shut down. I'd slowed to a walk, humiliated and broken. It was the first time in my life that I allowed my negative self-talk to completely take over. I was just swimming in it. I can't do this. I can't finish. I'm done. I knew that it wasn't healthy or productive to go there, but that voice was deafening. It was hard to block out. Every time I tried to muster up the strength to get running again, it was like my legs were full of lead. They just wouldn't move, and the voice would begin screaming again. As I spiraled in this negative self-talk, you suck, you can't do this, you're finished, Two people ran by me whom I will never forget. They are forever burned into my memory. One was an 80-year-old man in a powder blue tuxedo. He was good enough to run a marathon wearing anything, and he just sailed right by me like he was on a Sunday stroll. It was a vicious hit to my ego, and though he didn't mean to, he added insult to injury. But that wasn't the worst. The worst was in a middle-aged woman ran by me who had, and I'm not kidding, crapped her pants. Her shorts were completely brown in the back. I later learned it's fairly normal when you put your body through intense physical stress for certain systems of your body to shut off. It happens. You have no bodily control. But she ran right by me too. The one-two punch was brutal, beyond humbling. I walked the rest of the way, all the way to the finish. Even though I finished the race, it was not the way I had planned. It wasn't on my terms. At the end, I told myself, I will never do this again. This was the worst experience of my life. Years later, I still think about it. It's always been in the back of my mind, bothering me. Not so much the failing. There's no shame in not being able to run an entire marathon. But the fact that I allowed my negative self-talk to get the best of me. I use that memory as fuel and motivation to never put myself in that position again. Since then... To test myself and to push past my fear, I have participated in several endurance events. Were they hard? Absolutely. But that's why they were worth it. Hell, the first person who ever ran a marathon, 2,500 years ago in Athens, got to the end and promptly dropped dead. Stratton Mountain I carried the marathon experience with me for 15 years. It lingered in the back of my mind, the way my negative self-talk took over, the way my confidence wasn't earned, the way I put myself in a position to be embarrassed like that. In 2017, I took on a far more grueling activity. I participated in the 29029 Everest Challenge. The task was to ascend Stratton Mountain 17 times over the course of two days, the equivalent of ascending Mount Everest. Even though we rode down in a gondola after each ascent, 
It was far and away the toughest thing I've ever done, way more grueling than the marathon. Among the participants were a guy who had rowed across the Atlantic Ocean, the world record holder for climbing the highest mountains on each of the seven continents, more on him later, two former NFL players, a trainer on NBC's The Biggest Loser, and a woman who was preparing to run seven marathons on seven continents in seven consecutive days. It was an awe-inspiring group, and I was humbled just to be among them. Of course, I hadn't forgotten the guy in the blue tuxedo and the lady who lost control of her bowels passing me 15 years earlier. In the months before the challenge, I prepared methodically and relentlessly. I added a progressive incline treadmill and Stairmaster program to my normal strength training routine, trying my best to simulate the experience ahead of time. Just being in shape was nowhere near good enough, and I wouldn't repeat the same mistakes. I'd have the confidence that comes from being prepared. The mountain, with its punishing steep incline, was a beast. As a performance coach, I've always associated an elevated heart rate with high-intensity movement like sprinting, but simply walking up the mountain had my heart pounding, my legs burning, and though it was cold, my body completely soaked in sweat. As physically tough as it was, climbing the mountain was actually more of a mental test. It was all about how I processed the knowledge that I was at specific landmarks. There is a difference between the mindset of, I just got to the halfway mark, and, ugh, I still have halfway to go. It's the ultimate glasses half-full proposition. There was a stark contrast between climbing in daytime, when I could see a hundred yards in front of me, and climbing at night, when I could only see as far as my headlamp would shine. Same mountain, same task, different perspectives. On some ascents, I'd be all alone, and at other times, I'd go with a group. When I was solo, I was left alone with my thoughts. With others, we all worked together to support and push each other, and I was able to distract myself from the physical challenge by connecting with others. Once I came to the humbling realization that I would not be able to complete all 17 ascents in the time allotted, it was bittersweet. I was disappointed, but it also made the pressure evaporate. When I got to that point, I could just smile, take a breath, and simply focus on enjoying the experience. I knew my 12th ascent would be my last, and it was by far the most enjoyable. Fully present the entire time, I intentionally stopped at several landmarks to take in the view and reflect on the event and my experience. Though I didn't finish the challenge, I knew that wasn't the point. I've never felt more satisfaction from not reaching a goal than I did at the end of that weekend. I had a transformational experience, learned a ton about myself, and was able to stay present over an extended period of time. The point was to challenge my soul, push my physical, mental, and emotional limits, and connect with extraordinary people. And I did all three. Before, during, and after, my perspective on the whole experience was remarkably different from the marathon 15 years ago. I didn't allow negative self-talk to bombard me when it got rough. And believe me, it got rough. Despite the pain in my legs, the exhaustion pummeling my body, I attacked the challenge with confidence and optimism. It was like I was a different person. Because I was. Seven things I learned on Stratton Mountain. Number one. Complacency is the enemy of growth. You must take off the cruise control and intentionally push your limits as often as possible. Number two, physical discomfort creates emotional connection. You will make your best friends 
outside of your comfort zone. Number three, successful, smart, driven people want to spend time with successful, smart, driven people. Like attracts like. Number four, you aren't competing with anyone else in life or in business. You are always competing with yourself. Number five, breaking challenges into smaller pieces makes them manageable. Take things step by step. Number six, view life as a series of privileges, not obligations. Change your have tos to get tos. I didn't have to climb a mountain. I got to climb a mountain. Number seven, the climbs I did with others felt much easier than the ones I did by myself. The engaging conversation and mutual support made a huge difference. Challenges are not meant to be tackled alone. Hardest working man in the business. If everyone in the league worked as hard as I did, two-time NBA MVP Steve Nash used to say, I'd be out of a job. Steve Nash was an overachiever in the best sense of the word. He focused on the things he could influence, like how prepared he was, which is where his confidence came from. When I met Nash, he was in his mid-30s, nearing the twilight of an incredible career. When you see me doing something in the game and it looks like it came out of nowhere, it didn't, he told me. There's nothing I do in a game that I haven't done thousands of times in practice. Nash told me that, as a point guard, his number one job is to have solutions. He needs to be a problem solver on the court. Statistically, in the NBA, if the ball gets into the lane, through a pass or a dribble, the team scores at a higher percentage, even if the eventual shot is outside the lane. Once Nash gets it in there, his job is to find as many options as possible. And he practiced all of them. Passing the ball with either hand, bounce pass to the big man down low, a pocket pass to a guy for a corner three, off either foot from either hand. In a game, Nash could confidently drive into the lane against bigger, stronger, and more athletic guys because he was going in there with eight to ten options of what he could do. The preparation gave him confidence. No matter who was going to meet him in the lane, he already had the answers. Be ready to catch the ball, whatever direction it comes from. Sarah Rob O'Hagan, CEO, Flywheel Sports. Optimism. Confidence comes from an understanding of your own agency, your own influence, and your own ability to make things happen. Bob Rotella is a sports psychologist who has helped everyone from Michael Jordan to Tiger Woods. In How Champions Think in Sports and in Life, Rotella wrote that the first essential quality of champions is optimism. Think about that. Rotella is working with people at the absolute highest level of their craft, some who are the best in the world at what they do. Yet he still thinks the positive mindset, more than anything else, is what makes them champions. If no one thinks your goals are crazy, Rotella wrote, you're probably not aiming high enough. If you didn't lose the ball, then you didn't learn anything. A positive mindset spreads. Your approach becomes more dedicated, your outlook is more motivated, and your bounce back becomes stronger. Being optimistic is not just some pie-in-the-sky bull or rose-colored glasses or new-age fluff. It's scientifically proven to work. Optimism, it turns out, is a tremendously powerful predictor of work performance, wrote Sean Aker in The Happiness Advantage. Studies have shown that optimists set more goals and more difficult goals than pessimists and put more effort into attaining those goals, stay more engaged in the face of difficulty, and rise above obstacles more easily. 
When we don't do what needs to be done, we launch a cycle. We feel guilty and shameful, which erodes self-confidence. That eroding self-confidence diminishes our energy and motivation. As those decline, our productivity suffers and our attitude drops. This starts the entire cycle over again. The same cycle happens for positivity. Success and confidence breed and feed each other. You have no choice but to start with the one that is in your control. One of the best examples of the power of confidence is the four-minute mile, a mark that all experts claimed could never be broken. Even scientists said it was physically impossible for a man to do. But once Roger Bannister first broke it in 1954, it just kept breaking and breaking. People believed it could happen, so it did. Note to listener, every year an average of 20 Americans break the four-minute mile barrier. If you add in other countries, running powerhouses like Kenya, it's way more. Sure, modern training and nutrition have had a great deal to do with it, but we can't underestimate the role that confidence has played in breaking this barrier. Our minds have enormous power to enlarge or shrink whatever goal we focus on. We can bring our objective closer or push it further away simply by how we think about it. The Boston Garden was one of the most hallowed buildings in all of sports. It was treated like a cathedral by its fans, a place where championship banners and retired jerseys hang from the rafters as a shrine to the greatest who ever walked on a basketball court. It was a holy place, and everyone thought so. Even the Lakers, their most hated rivals. You know what Celtic legend Larry Bird always called it? The gym. Key point. Earned confidence is the result of knowing yourself, caring about what you do, and committing to getting better. Confidence attracts success. Remember, there is nothing more damaging than false confidence and nothing more powerful than properly grounded confidence. Confidence is a contagious force that shines a light on your work and gives energy to others. Don't be a jerk, but make sure your confidence comes through in how you talk and do your work. Earned confidence is a magnetic force that will get you what you want. Here's a self-test. Before you listen to part two, answer these questions. If you were fired today, how would you get rehired tomorrow? What would you change and do differently? Whatever your answer is, what are you waiting for? Well, that's it for me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please make sure to join my conversations at Alan Stein Jr. on all major social platforms and go to allensteinjr.com to subscribe to my full timeout, 30-second timeout, and overtime monthly emails. I look forward to helping you raise your game.